Good afternoon and welcome to season four of Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And today we have swiftly arrived on episode 39. And for this episode, we shall focus on Tarantino's stylized attempt of a spaghetti western war film. It's the 2009 soon-to-be cult classic Inglorious Bastards, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino and starring Brad Pitt, Eli Roth, Daniel Brawl, Melanie Loren, Michael Fassbender and the amazing Christoph Waltz. If ever Tarantino was trying to give his fans a reason to forget about the ever-quotable Pulp Fiction and lose themselves in another one of his cinematic stylized visions of filmmaking, then Inglorious Bastards have certainly and quite possibly done this, but only time will tell if that is true or not. And I quote, if this film is his masterpiece. A film where only 30% of this film is in English. There is a 44-minute stretch in which less than nine minutes of dialogue are in English, including 25 minutes straight in which no English is spoken. Quentin Tarantino never even learned the French or German translations of this dialogue. He would direct all non-English scenes on intuition alone. A film that was going to be abandoned if they didn't find the suitable actor for Hans Lander. A film that was nine years in the making. A film that was coming off probably Tarantino's worst slump of his career from his last two previous films, Kill Bill Volume 2 and the infamous and yet crazy Death Proof. This was Tarantino's film with the most Academy Award nominations, eight. Until recently, until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which earned ten, winning two of them. His highest grossing film since Pulp Fiction in 1994. He started writing this film before Kill Bill, but he couldn't decide on a really good ending for this movie, so he left it, and then returned back after finishing Kill Bill Volume 2, and then spent more time and perfected the movie. The film reintroduced the Tarantino we saw in the first two classics he made, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. We were invited back into this world of mundane dialogue that becomes tense. The long takes that are hard not to take your eyes off. And more importantly, characters we fall in love with. And that is, that's what his trade is. He knows how to really build and sell a character to you. He knows the commitment it takes to really suck you in into this ideology of this character's thoughts their motives you know every inch about them quinton writes the script with a pencil always a pencil never on a laptop and spends x amount of time on it he then invites certain people over maybe actors he wants in them like brad like eli like kurt russell and they come to his house they have their seat and tarantino takes their phone away and he leaves them alone to read it only in his house he doesn't tell the actors what they've written for them. He just says, read the entire script. He, he then gives them a book, a journal of a specific character that he wants them to play, which is for their eyes only. And only for them do we know what their characters are playing. Only the, the, only the actors know these certain traits of these characters. Not even the audiences know about the backstory of these characters. And that is the art of his beauty. We will never know if Brad Pitt killed his wife in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But Brad Pitt does. We will never know why Kurt Russell can't cheat the hangman in The Hateful Eight. But Kurt Russell does. We'll never know what's in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. But I'm sure a select few like Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta do. And we will never know the backstory behind the scar around Brad Pitt's neck in Inglorious Bastards. But once again, I'm sure Brad does. And what's important is he knows how to best play the character for us as the audience. Now, with that particular trademark of Brad's scar around his neck, the script, if you've read it, hints that Aldo Rain survived the lynching, a common punishment in the 1920s and 30s. But otherwise... It explicitly states that the scar will never be explained. Only a select few know, as I've just mentioned before. 
The beauty of a good writer is the planning, the depth of every single character, from Lieutenant Aldo Rain to the Bear Jew. Each character in this movie has their own personal story, and either we see some of it, all of it, or maybe even none of it. And that's the commitment Quentin Tarantino puts into his characters, and that's why he's probably one of the best writers in cinema today. For Quentin Tarantino to have perfected the script and almost abandoned the whole project because he simply couldn't get the right actor to play Hans Lander demonstrates how passionate he is about getting his vision right. His first choice for the notorious Hans Lander was in fact Leonardo DiCaprio. But throughout the pre-production stage he realised he needed someone who could say his dialogue in German and French and kindly told Leo that he needed another actor. I mean they would later work together on his next two films. But this shift in this decision landed Hollywood, us, the world, with one of the greatest actors, probably in the world, an actor that won an Oscar for the roles of Hans Lander, something that no other actor has done portraying a Tarantino character. And to add to his genius, he would be nominated again the year after for Dr. King Schultz in Django and won again two supporting acting roles. His win for Best Supporting Actor for this role makes him one of six actors to win an Oscar for playing a role that speaks predominantly another language he originally rejected the role he had in Django because he was a bounty hunter and Tarantino was trying to persuade him which is just an honor and Christoph Waltz said look I'll only play him if he's pure like generally a good man so he wrote some scenes together he rewrote a few bits that he already written and we have pretty much the opposite of what he played in Inglorious Bastards Christoph Waltz says the reason this movie was made, and I think he is the reason the movie is made, is that he, his character, is the glue that holds the entire film together. And I have to agree, Christoph Waltz is the reason the movie works. Without him, the film wouldn't have been made. And his performances as Han, his performance as Hans Lander is probably one of the best performances from an actor speaking English, French, Italian and German all fluently and with that Tarantino tongue too. I mean, Christoph Waltz even admitted that he's not fluent in Italian and learnt his Italian dialogue strictly for the movie. And according to my girlfriend who's Italian, he nailed every pronunciation. This now famous role as the Jew Hunter will probably go down in history as one of the best in the century, which is slightly ironic since Christoph Waltz in real life is the son of a rabbi. Sir Michael Caine even praised Christoph Waltz's performance as Hans Lander, saying it was the best performance of a villain I've seen in years. And Michael Caine even correctly predicted that Waltz would win Best Actor in a Supporting Role at the 2010 Academy Awards. And a random fact, in case you like that kind of thing, because I am a massive geek, this continues a trend with four actors in a row named Chris or Christopher, who would go on to win Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. It was first won in 2010 with Christian Bale for The Fighter, Christopher Plummer after that for The Beginners, and then Christoph Waltz won back-to-back with Django and Inglorious Bastards. Take nothing away from the rest of the cast. Each performs to their genius and craft for the desired roles. Tarantino even goes as far as saying, even with Christoph Waltz, the role of Frederick Zoller had to be just as perfect, needing that certain type of face and personality for a war hero. Attractive, yet a face you want to punch. Annoying, but yet charming. And Daniel Brawl steps in and absolutely nails this role. In fact, from this film alone, the careers of Daniel Brawl, Michael Fassbender, Melanie Laurent, Leah Seydoux, and of course Christoph Waltz skyrocketed after this, after this movie was made. All these actors pre-2009, pre-Inglorious Bastards, were just getting in, getting by with random films now and again, but never really hit the big time. This one film for all of them changed their careers.
Fassbender, a leading man now in some great films like Jobs, The X-Men franchise, Shame, Prometheus, earning two Oscar nominations. Daniel Brühl going on to play Nicky Lauder in Rush, starring in The Alienist on Netflix. He's in the Marvel Universe. Many Laurent in the Michael Bay films, Now You See Me. Uh, Lisa Du is now a Bond girl um, alongside uh, Christoph Waltz, who is now a Bond villain. So this film has had an impact, not just for the audience, but for the actors too. Michael Fassbender's role, who originally was going to be for Simon Pegg, the role of Archie Hickox, which, by the way, if you're a big, big Tarantino fan and, and kind of a nerd about it like me, he's meant to be the great-grandson, no, not great-grandson, just grandson of Tim Roth's character in The Hateful Eight, seeming they share the same last name. And also Brad Pitt's character, Lieutenant Aldo Rain, is the great-grandfather of Floyd from True Romance, which Tarantino wrote. And despite being called Aldo the Apache, he is only seen killing one guy, the radio operator at the end. And here's an interesting thought. Although Brad Pitt shot him in the stomach, that means he was still alive when he was being scalped at the end. So technically, he hasn't killed anyone in the movie. But yes, his role is rather iconic in this film because Fassbender plays a British pretending to be a German who gets caught by the famous free finger scene. But in reality, Fassbender, he was born in Germany with German and Irish parents and then moved to England and is actually quite fluent in German with a strong accent. But in this movie, he has trouble hiding it. So his role is layered with irony. The scene is one of my favourites, the tavern scene that turns into a game of tension and mind games, a scene laid around references, double meaning, secrets and a card game of identity. And Tarantino being Tarantino hides references left, right and centre in the whole movie, but in particular that tavern scene. So in this scene, you have Major Hellstrom, who is a high superior Nazi in this scene, which, by the way, his name is a Marvel reference to Damon Hellstrom, the Marvel character, whose name literally means son of Satan. So there's a nod right there. But anyway, um, in this scene, he has King Kong on his head to guess. The breakdown of him figuring out who he is um, on his head is a subtle movie analysis of King Kong in Tarantino's eyes because he believes that King Kong is a metaphor for the American slave trade. And King Kong happened to be Adolf Hitler's favorite film as well. Convenient. Also in that scene, before it all kicks off, in the um, before it all kicks off, the Germans are also playing the game at the start, and one of the soldiers has Marta Hari on her head, and she's an exotic dancer who becomes a double agent, which shadows Diane Kruger's role in this scene, a famous actress who turns double agent. So if you look closely, and if you're a bit of a nerd and you get it, then you will probably see where the film might be going. And this happens with every film, not just Tarantino's. So later on, when she is found out and when she tries on the slipper, which, by the way, is another reference to Cinderella, that scene when she's being choked is Tarantino actually choking her for real. He was worried that Christoph Waltz would be too nice and wouldn't squeeze as hard enough. So he took Diane Kruger to to a side and said, listen, I'm going to actually choke you. It's going to be a matter of seconds. Um, I just need to get that shot for two, three seconds and then that's it. And she accepted. So Tarantino did it for real and she lost consciousness actually. Um, but luckily they did it in one take. So, and that's the, ex uh, that's the scene that exists in the movie today. And speaking of irony, Diane Kruger is German. I mean, the name being the giveaway there. And she's best known for speaking English roles like Troy, which, by the way, also has Brad Pitt, uh, National Treasure. And Tarantino thought she was American and doubted she could master the German dialogue or dialect upon her audition. And then Tarantino laughed about it when she could speak German just like the flick of her tongue. 
And one of my favourite characters, and a lot of people's favourite characters in this movie, Hugo Stiglitz, which, uh, who's played by Till Schweiger, who was born and raised in Germany. And he's predominantly done German films, unlike um, his compatriot Diane Kruger. And he's always refused to play a Nazi or even wear any of their uniform. But he made an exception of this movie on the condition that he could kill a Nazi. And if anyone's caught the reference of Hugo Stiglitz, that's a homage to a Mexican B actor named Hugo Stiglitz. The film is full of them. It's given how big a cinephile Tarantino really is. So I'm babbling on about the cast in the movie. I'll explain the plot of Inglorious Bastard for those who haven't seen it. I mean, the title is taken from a 1978 movie named exactly the same, obviously, but spelt correctly. Uh, the director of that movie even has a cameo in this movie. He's in the movie, within the movie, Nation's Pride. The plot is very different and the title is purposefully misspelled in Tarantino's version. When asked about the misspelled title, Tarantino said, here's the thing, I'm never going to explain that. You do an artistic flourish like that and to explain it would just take the piss out of it and invalidate the whole stroke in the first place. So when someone asked him that at Cannes Festival, he got really wound up. He's like, I don't need to explain myself. It's there and I know why. And this goes back to how he develops his characters. He has these little things that we won't know, but it's there because he knows how he wrote those characters, like the scar around Brad Pitt's neck and what's in the briefcase of Pulp Fiction. So the movie tells the story of a time in Nazi-occupied Nazi France where it soon gets infiltrated by a bunch of Jew-born American soldiers there to search and destroy any Nazis they come across. Their plan coincides with a Nazi, a Nazi-hating plan which ends up intertwining in this conventional Tarantino way and ends up rewriting history in probably Tarantino's finest movie. One of the best scenes in cinema history is probably the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards with Hans Lander and the interrogation of Monsieur Lepetit. In fact, all of his conversation in this movie is an interrogation, subtle or not. Every time we have Christoph Waltz on scene, his dialogue is of a interrogation. The bit in that scene where he says, may I remove my pipe and moves a much bigger pipe is basically telling him that I'm, I'm onto you now. I have the power of this scene right now. And this pipe dictates that everything he does is a form of intimidation and he does so, so cleverly. And this is basically Tarantino's work of genius. I mean, the reason he talks in English, the reason he drinks the milk, the reason he's so nice is so he can, you know, initiate his attack on this interrogation. So the Jews don't understand what he's saying. So he can contemplate the, you know, so he can make them put at ease when he finally knows he's got the advantage. When he takes his pipe out, he's basically saying, my dick is bigger than yours. I know that you're hiding Jews. Again, later when we meet Hans Lander at the German high table with Shoshana, now, you know, we're unsure if he knows or not that she's uh, the same girl that was underneath the floorboards, but it's implied he might and therefore plays it out to see what's happening. Again, staying one step ahead by keeping the knowledge to himself and watching how it plays out and also to play out on his own amusement, like when he tells Brad Pitt to pronounce his own name or asking Diane Kruger how she broke her leg. So it's, you know, it's not... It's not for him to just sort of get at it. He's using that information well um, as well. And it was Brad Pitt's idea to pronounce his name like that in Italian. In, in fact, Brad Pitt should know Italian because his character um, spent two tours in Sicily. So in the script, Tarantino said that Brad Pitt would be able to speak Italian. But when it came to shooting that scenes, when he's like, buongiorno, uh, it was Brad Pitt's idea to do that. And 
every time they tried doing it properly, Quentin Tarantino couldn't get that out of his head. And he said, I can't get you not saying that anymore. It's just too funny. I have to keep it in the scene. And it's one of the many times when an actor's gone off Tarantino's script and he's kept it in the movie. So that scene when he's like, Bongiorno is completely Brad Pitt being funny and it's being kept in the movie. In reality, that whole scene is Brad Pitt actually speaking Italian because he can actually speak Italian according to his character. But, you know these little strokes of geniuses work out quite well for the movie. But anyways, back to that scene at the table with Hans Landa. I mean, Landa's choice of food for Shoshana is symbolic and another way to test a girl and play psychological games with her. The glass of milk, of course, is a callback to La Petite's farm where Landa drank milk and where Shoshana's family died. And as for the strudel, during World War II, it would likely have been made with pork lard, which is not kosher and therefore not allowed by Jewish dietary law. So you can see the cleverness of the script the dialogue and the way it's been executed and one thing i did notice at the start of the scene under the floorboards of um the la petite house shoshana could not understand the conversation because landa cleverly switched to english purposefully so the jews under the floorboard couldn't understand them so at the end when shoshana films her movie which um is played just before they incinerate the german political high party Many of the German theatre audience, including Hitler, would not have understood what she said because many of them did not understand English. So it kind of flips that whole scene on its head. So I think that's a really nice, clever, call, uh, clever, clever touch by Tarantino there. And interestingly enough, in that scene, the role of Shoshana Dreyfus's father, Jacob, who you see for like seconds underneath the floorboard, was played by Patrick Elias, um, whose father, Buddy Elias, was the first cousin of Anne Frank which is somewhat inappropriately fitting, I guess. But this is said to be one of the best scenes in Hollywood. I mean, do you know any scenes better than the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards? I mean, Tarantino even goes and says that the opening scene to Inglorious Bastards is probably his finest directing work ever done on his, on his own piece of work, writing, directing and acting. And a lot of talk was saying that the Sicilian scene in True Romance was currently holding the title of one of the best scenes in history. And when asked which is the better scene, the Sicilian scene or the opening scene in Inglorious Bastards, Tarantino simply said, it's got to be the Inglorious Bastards one because that scene, I had the knowledge of the Sicilian scene existing. So therefore, if I found that this, if I found that scene to be better, then, you know, it has to be the second one because it was, do it, I was doing it while in the existence of a great one as well. So it's a thing of beauty, this film. It's on par with Pulp Fiction. And in my opinion, it will certainly hold the status of being a contemporary classic, a film where our kids will watch it and love it and quote it, and a film that their kids will love and watch it, and a film that has done its job, which is to leave a legacy on planet Earth. A film where Inglorious isn't even said in the movie, but from the scratchings of a gun, the last lines which which they say, this just might be my masterpiece, where the actor playing the Juice of Ivor is related to the Anne Frank, where the camera chooses to show you certain details at different points, where dialogue is the tension through the written words of Quentin Tarantino and a standout performance from a Sherlock Holmes-like Nazi detective. The film invites success. It is supreme on every level. And there is not one thing I could say that's really negative about it. Each scene tries to compete with the last scene. Each story, each chapter tries to outdo the other. And to our delight, they merge together, just like they do in Pulp fiction to bring us a true masterpiece in cinema well that's all i have time for with inglorious bastards the film of the decade for me and the one to beat in terms of tension remember watching two men talk for five minutes is boring but watching two men talking when there is a bomb underneath the table ready to go off in four minutes and a half suddenly becomes tense scary and a hell of a ride 
Tarantino is that bomb through the use of his camera techniques, visual, and of course, his dialogue. But anyway, please subscribe to me on Spotify, iTunes, and Google. And I'm also on Instagram, Film Exploration AH, all lowercase, all one word. And thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.